Mic check, one, two, three, one, two, three. Welcome to... Welcome to the Bunch Podcast tonight. It is 10.42 p.m. on Friday, May 13th. Friday the 13th, holy shit, what were we thinking? Oh my God. What were we thinking? No wonder today was such a crazy day. This is the first episode, so I think we should just go ahead and start talking about what our what our goals are. What are we trying to do here? Why are we doing this? Rafa and I met through a mutual contact a couple weeks ago, actually. Even though everybody we've been hanging out with thinks that we've been friends since we were kids. We went to high school together in Brazil, actually. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> but... Uh, we met up and had coffee and started talking about the industry and work and like anybody that somebody recommends I talk to, I tried to get him to come and work at Cantina or Mooncloud and uh, ultimately at the end of that conversation, Rafa said, man, we need to broadcast this. Let's make a podcast, which is exactly how I like to roll. Yeah. Have an idea, execute idea. Here we are. Quick shout out. Quick shout out. I want to do shout outs all night long because, you know, eventually... <laughs> All night long. Eventually, we got to start having some sponsors on this thing, you know? Yeah. So, first of all, quick shout out to Trumbull Studios for hooking us up with all the gear. Another shout out to Josh Crane and Jules Jensen, who helped us set up all this technical equipment. Because uh, although Rafa is more than capable, we certainly got ourselves quite the setup over here. But that is yet to be uh, determined. The, the depth of my capabilities are yet to be. Yeah, we're going to push you to the brink. <laughs> we're going to push you to the brink. You're going to, we're, we're going to need a bed in here because Rafa's going to end up moving into bunch ops. The wife's going to be very happy about that. Absolutely. Coming home every Friday night, having a little bit too much wine, shooting the shit, talking, talking biz. So anyway, uh, shout out to Trumbull Studios, Josh Crane, uh, Jules Jensen for getting us all set up. And uh, Mies Wines for hooking us up with the wine for tonight. We're drinking some Ganavat. Nice uh, natural wine out of France. And uh, so, yeah, Rafa and I had this conversation. And, you know, what we've really come to decide on is we want to be talking about big picture problems in our world under the microscope of Berkshire County. Because the truth of the matter is we got an awesome killer community. Mm -hmm. But at this point... The picture that's being painted of our community, we got to step up our game. That's right. We got to get to work. That is correct. And the good thing is we, got, we have such a, a wild network here. And we have access to so many brilliant, creative, inventive people that the big picture problems we can solve on a micro scale here. And if that happens to trickle into Hudson Valley, happens to trickle into New York City, Boston, Albany... Awesome. But you know what? Let's focus on, on right here, right now. But make sure we're talking about the big things. Big picture, always. Always, always, always. So, you know, we're definitely trying to come up with a good list of topics of conversation that we want to go ahead and turn the rocks over on, dig deep into, bring in some of these amazing people in our network to get some expertise advice on so many different things. Uh, but I think tonight we wanted to just go ahead and, and start to talk about the most, most prevalent news, certainly for me, I don't know about you, <laughs> but, 
but certainly what's consuming my world right now is the reopening cantina and i think uh i think that's a good place for us to start at least and we'll see where this goes i mean by the time by the time we're done we'll probably end up talking about go-karts and all kinds of other shit but <laughs> well if we're gonna go in that route i'd like to actually uh as you said before we have met just a couple weeks ago and i feel like i don't really know you Although I feel like I've known you for a long time. It's quite a conundrum to be living with. So Ditto. Uh, in terms of talking about Cantina and how it's reopening and everything that you're doing with it, why don't you go ahead and tell all three listeners that are listening to this who don't know anything about what Cantina <laughs> is about, um, give them a little background on... Well, let's start with giving a little background on you. All right, cool. Like, just a little story from when the early years of uh, little baby Josh mm. to the father of three. Father of three, wow. Four counting the restaurant, because it is a baby after all. Well, in that case, <laughs> I got an Irish family. <laughs> a lot more than four, man. It's a lot more than four. Uh, okay, cool. Little background, you know, I was I was pitching to a bank this morning, so I think I'm warmed up on this. I uh, I grew up in New York City, downtown Tribeca, uh, way before it was cool. You know, it was a rough neighborhood back in the back in the day. No, I'm just kidding. Without giving it too much, what year are we talking? Uh, that my wife asked me not to disclose on this <laughs> publication. Yeah, unfortunately, you guys are going to have to rely on some other sources for that. But uh, I grew up in New York City, and my parents uh, bought a house in Hillsdale in 1992. And uh, my father called us 50 out of 50 tours because we came up every single weekend, no matter what. It didn't matter what time he was getting out of work on Friday night. He wanted to get in the car with all three here. of us and the cat and the dog. <laughs> And my mother is a bona fide professional schlepper. And so there wasn't a car big enough for us. I mean, we went from Windstar, you know, uh, all the way up to the Suburban and made it up every single weekend. I mean, there were nights that we'd get to the, the bottom of the hill in Hillsdale, snowstorm, 11 o'clock at night, couldn't get up the hill with two-wheel drive. My oh. father would carry us one at a time up the hill just to get there. Oh, we all know a lot about that. Yep. But, uh... Very quickly, just just fell in love with it, and I, actually, I was chatting with a guy this morning, and we were trying to quantify what is it about the Berkshires that makes it so special. What is it? Like, it's it, it's a combination of the landscape, it's a combination of the culture, the people. I don't know. I keep going back. You know, I feel like vibe is the word of the year for me right now. It's all about the vibe. I want to be a chief vibe officer for life. Because <laughs> we've all had such a, a challenging time in the last couple of years. And I feel like the goal is just to get back to like a, yeah. a positive place, you know, yeah. happy place, good vibes only. Yeah. I mean, as cheesy as those t-shirts are, like I got to get one of those. Yeah. But uh, maybe we'll do a bunch podcast vibe. Yeah. All about the vibes. Yeah. So, been coming up here for a long time, and people always told my parents as I was growing up, they're like, oh, once they get into high school, you know, the kids aren't going to want to go up anymore. They're going to want to stay in New York. And truth of the matter is, my friends just wanted to come with, you know, because we had fun up here. And uh, 
What was what was that like? Uh, what was that like coming up here as? Um, you know, when you when you reached the, like high school age and uh, you became like a what I like to call young adults is anybody eighteen or over. Mm. Even though some people seem to think differently, I think an eighteen-year-old is an adult, a young one. Young. Because you have a lot of different freedoms that are certainly available to you. For sure. Uh, what was it like uh, and how is it different than what you see life is for 18 to 21, 25-year-olds now in the Berkshires? Well, I think a big part of it was community for me. You know, we were, uh, I was a part of Hevra and going to Sunday school every single week and kept going through high school, through confirmation class. Quick shout out to Rabbi Debbie Zecker, who was an absolute legend, still is. Uh, but I met, I met so many people like through that class. And then that trickled into like their friends and their friends. So as I, as I got to like 16, 17 and started to have the ability to drive myself around, we found ourselves, my sisters and I, feeling like our closest friends were up here. Like the weekend was here and we were like, cool, let's, Let's go do things. Let's go for hikes. Let's go check out the water, the lakes, the rivers. Yeah. And by, I don't know, junior, senior year of high school, like we were, we were trying to put on more fun stuff. In fact, Jules and I, again, don't want to date myself here, <laughs> but Jules and I back in the day put on a party. He was, he was with a band, High Organics, uh, and I was DJing Sweet Sixteens, bar and bat mitzvahs, proms up here in the Berkshires. I, I started a little DJ company. My first business was Jams by Josh. Uh, and we did, a, we did a full party because I was like, man, we, we got to be able to, to go out and dance. Like, I, I want to get my sweat on. Mm-hmm. So we, we were able to take over through the Railroad Street Youth Project, take over Searle's Gym. And yeah, senior year of high school, we put on a big, a big party show called The Zoo. And that, in some ways, I always felt was like the catalyst of my wanting to provide good times in the Berkshires. When you talk about the gym, you're talking about the gym of the school that's across the street from the co-op? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't... That sounds epic. It, it was fun. It was really fun. You know, we, we did... My boy DJ Scarebear did a set. I did a set. And High Organics did a set. And... It was just, it was setting the tone for like, we have all of the pieces here to have a good time. Let's execute. And we did. And I think, I think back, back to that all the time, just in regards to, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come and going back to community and whatnot. So back to your question a little bit, you know, what's, what's the difference between kids now, kids then, I mean, so many different things. Uh, obviously, social media is keeping people much more connected these days and knowing what's going on. But let's let's utilize that. Let's let's blow it up. Let's get Dis- uh, connected and disconnected as well. True, very true. You know, on, on different levels. Uh, so, high school came and went. I ended up going down to D.C. for for uni. And, uh, <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um, I, I don't know the story, but just saying uni, that yeah, sounds yeah, pretty funny already. Uh, just as it is. That's another time. Um, and 
and it was down in DC that I started cooking. I was a communications major, and as I was, uh, you know, coming up on senior year of college, my father was riding me, cracking the whip. Did you get a job? Did you get a job? Did you get a job? Of course not. I didn't get a job. I was working at a milkshake bar. Why communications? Why did you choose to major in communications? It's uh, a good question. I think it was probably because like the classes I had picked in the first year or two ended up stacking up or that was the path of least resistance. Did you think of yourself years down the road when you were taking no. those classes? No, not at all. It, it, it felt like it was, it was solidifying an academic understanding of what I innately enjoyed doing, being a people person. A social butterfly <laughs> and and it wasn't until you know that that point when I had to really like come up with what's what's the career where do, where do you go with this and I was looking I had interned at PR firms and marketing firms and was looking at the job fair and came to realize I was like damn man all the things that I'm actually learning in class and that I'm good at naturally are so much more applicable in a restaurant than they are in a PR office what uh, what made you is was there a particular moment that you you can recall that made you realize that? You know, I, my sisters and I used to go to this little diner in Tribeca called Imperial Diner back in the day. We'd sit there at the counter and hearing these guys all in Spanish speaking code back and forth to each other. It was like a conductor. You know, the expediters like taking the order, putting the ticket down. One guy's like, let me get a two-piece. And next thing you know, 30 seconds later, you got the exact order that you got in front of you. And, and he, meanwhile, he's doing 10, 10, 12 of these every you know, five minutes. It was, it was crazy to see these guys just without looking. Billy and I and Mooncloud like to call it the dance. You know, when you're working with somebody and you're just in total harmony, it's a dance. And I think, I think that was it. Like, I looked up to these guys. They were so cool. They, they were like they were a part of my childhood and realizing, man, like restaurants are successful based on their level of communication. And I was working at a joint called 1789 in Georgetown, super high end place. I didn't have a damn clue what I was doing in there. I mean, <laughs> what they, were you doing there? I, I don't know. You know, a friend of a friend knew the chef. And so he took me under his wing and let me do a couple things and work garbage. I had no responsibilities at that place. I would show up for service and make some salads and, yeah, so for those who don't know what Garmanger is, that's the person that's usually responsible for cold apps and salads and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, and, and I wasn't even like the Garmanger guy. I was just like shadowing the, the Garmanger guy. And he was like, here, you can put this carpaccio on the plate. And I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. Look at these super baggy pinstripe chef pants I have on, <laughs> which later got caught in my, uh, you know, fixie bike on my ride home. Oh. Uh, so yeah, I, I decided, you know what, let's, let's give this a go. I, I love to cook breakfast. I wasn't super into cooking, but I like to cook eggs growing up. And, and my parents are, are great cooks and we always cooked at home. So up until then, you didn't really have any like stories of being at home and cooking in a more intense scenario. Like you weren't obsessed with cooking in any way. No, I like to eat. Like it's something that was, that happened with me for when I was, when I was young, which we'll get to at some point, but I did have in a good chunk of my teenage years where I was obsessed with cooking. I never got good at it. 
<laughs> I got good at music, which ended up. Anyways, we'll tell that story. That'll happen. Time. Uh, so yeah, I, I really felt like, all right, let's give this a crack. And although my entire friend group in school all moved to New York City to go to law school, I was the one New York City kid that ended up moving to Boston to start cooking, and uh, hopped into it, worked my way up. Um, really solidified that you know that hypothesis of communication is key and very quickly uh you know met my wife emily and we decided to relocate back to the berkshires which is where she's from we were you, li- guys, you guys met in uh in new york city no in marblehead actually yeah i moved to boston i was living in marblehead working at a restaurant and uh that's where she was and then we moved we moved out here because we were visiting you know family occasionally on weekends and we found the cantina property for sale and we didn't even look inside the house we just went inside the restaurant we're like this is fucking cool you know we don't know what the hell we're gonna do with this space but it's cool and and we'll figure it out yeah and we said it could be a yoga studio it could be an ice cream shop uh but we said whatever we're gonna do we're not gonna open a restaurant (laughs) we said no matter what okay like we shook on it Pinky swear, because as I was getting into this career, I spoke to a lot of people that I know, again, you know, networking, and my mom recommended, well, why don't you talk to some chefs and find out, you know, what the inside, and everybody had the same thing, you know, great industry, you're going to love it, but uh, kiss your family goodbye, and you'll never see your kids, and you'll probably divorce your wife, and or she'll divorce you, uh, but you're gonna have a lot of fun. And I was like, yeah, that's that's not me. You know, my values are stacked differently. So we said no restaurant. Uh, so we like to joke that Cantino was the, uh, you know, the biggest, the biggest, mis- greatest mistake we ever made. Um, <laughs> kind of like that sixth kid that people have, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oops. But. So we, we, we jumped in and uh, we, we got started and we said, all right, let's, let's open this place up just before we do any sort of renovations and just invite the community in to meet some people and really make it a new Marlboro place. And we, again, considered, do we do ice cream? Should we do Vietnamese iced coffee? I fucking love Vietnamese iced coffee. And spring rolls, like, would people come for that? I don't know. And meanwhile, we were cooking tacos on Tuesdays because my eight-year-old daughter at the time wanted tacos on Tuesdays and Emily has a big family so the first week it was just us and then the next week her mother came and then the next week her brother came and then the whole family wait 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 wait, wait. hang on hang on hang on a second you you I how come a guy that was working in a kitchen when he was going to school and then worked in a little kitchen over here in New York and another one over there ends up where you ended up there's some other stuff to the story, right? Like you learn, as far you, as cooking. Yeah. All right, I got, I got obsessed. Like I got in the kitchen, got the hustle and bustle, and my first real job where I had responsibilities and whatnot. And I did have fun. I mean, I was single at the time and and young and could easily do the 80, 90 hour work weeks and get paid absolutely nothing um, because that was training. And I had a number of great mentors and people that really pushed me. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And every time I switched jobs, it was like, okay, take, take one more step up, take one more step up, constantly trying to work on getting stronger all the way around. 
But let me tell you, man, when we were opening Cantina, I didn't sleep for months leading up to that thing. I mean, it, it is, I, I, I thought to myself every single night, what am I going to cook? Is it going to be good? Is anybody going to like it? And then even if I'm able to come up with a menu for opening night, then what? Like, where do you go from there? I, like, it, terrifying. In fact, I, I worked with a guy up here once I moved back before we opened the restaurant who said fear is what drives him to be successful. Oh, wow. It's, it's the constant fear of failure that makes him excel. Which is, here, you want some more wine? Here. Which I totally, totally agree with. It's, it's a blessing and a curse, and at this point, it's like part of the process of defensive driving. Yeah. Seeing everything that could possibly go wrong at all yeah. times and constantly being concerned about those things. But if you go through that process and if you obsess at that level, it, it prepares you. Um, so back to the tacos. We were cooking tacos at home and that's when it kind of clicked all of a sudden more and more family members are showing buying more meat. I'm buying more mezcal to make the margaritas, more avocados. I'm like, man, I can't afford this. I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do that this summer. Let's just cook tacos one day a week. That way we can charge your family for the drinks and the food instead of putting it up. <laughs> and she's got a big enough family. I was like, you know, it'll be a small business, but uh, at least we'll make some money off of it. Well, it wasn't just her family. We opened, we did eight Tuesdays in 2015, the summer of 2015, July to August. And we stitched together a staff of some family members, some local people, some random people. And I was just like, yo, can you help me out once a week? Um, and the first night we opened, it was an absolute shit show. I mean, there were 150 people that showed up on the oh opening night. Oh, my God. It was me in the kitchen, Francisco, who now works at Mooncloud and has been with us for a long, long time. He was making guacamole. I wanted to make guacamole to order in a mortar and pestle. So I'm like, order in one guacamole. And he goes ahead and starts pounding the garlic and the, and the jalapeno. I'm like, order in one more guacamole. And then, you know, by, by 530, I'm like, dude, just fucking put all of it in the Vitamix and start blending it. <laughs> put it in a bowl. And, uh, and Patrick Nelson, who is my next door neighbor, who's a, who's a builder, said he would help me. And so he would, he would leave his contractor job and show up at like 5, 10, 10 minutes after we opened to try and have his whole station set up. He'd walk in, put an apron on, and he'd be like, let's fucking do it. Crack a beer and off to the races. And I remember after that first night, we sat down with the staff, you know, of, of a bunch of random people yeah. that we had stitched together. God bless all those people. Thank you for helping. Um, and they're like, well, at least we won't have to do that again. I was like, are you kidding me? That's not how word of mouth works. It's going to be double next weekend. And sure enough, every single weekend it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where we were doing, you know, 300, 400 covers by the end of August. So that gave us the proof of concept and also like the little bit of knowledge to be like, all right, we can, we can do this. There's a demand for it, even though we're a tiny little building in the middle of the woods. What was it? What was it about the concept that you think attracted so many people right at first? Because there's so many restaurants I know that would die to have 150 people on their first night, and they just didn't. A lot of them didn't, and some of them don't right now. There's lots of restaurants that I know that have sure. opened in the past year or so um, that might be doing well now, but certainly had a little bit of a steep curve to. For sure. I think, I think it was, we had a good base, 
you know, we, we, we knew people in the community. We weren't just trying to like pop something up out of nowhere. Um, Emily having grown up here, me having grown up here, you know, we definitely cover a lot of ground as far as that word of mouth and network. Uh, and, and Cantina's fun. Like it's, it's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful setting. It's very unique. Um, we play loud music and, uh, and we try and punch flavor and, and that, that combination of quirky, cool, interesting, homemade kind of thing. It worked. And so we said, all right, let's, let's, let's go for it. And we did some renovations. We built, you know, it was a, it was a seasonal business before. So we took all the screen down off the walls put up glass windows, built some stairs, built a bar. And, uh, what was it? What was it? What kind of business was in there before? New York? So the, the guy we bought the property from has, has lived, his family has lived there for generations and his wife loved to cook Puerto Rican food and he loved his wife. So he and a couple of friends milled all of the post and beam work that's in the cantina and oh, built wow. it for her. And they opened up a little Puerto Rican place in 1995 that was called uh, Parada Vida, which is the slow life. And they did 20, 25 covers a night. And you had to have a reservation. And it was rice beans and a protein, something like that. Very, very minimal. I never went, but I know a lot of people that said, you know, hey, it was this amazing little oasis. You felt like you were somewhere else. And so we tried to take that with us. Mm-hmm. And Cantina, the name actually is what he called the building. All of his notes that he gave me and when he would, he was incredibly helpful in the transfer of the property and okay, I got to teach you this and show you this and oh, well, you'll find this out in the cantina and oh, and, and in the cantina and, and, oh, and so we're wow. like, man, cantina, cantina. And to us, we, it stuck with us because cantina after, after looking it up is, is not just Spanish, but it, it's, it means community. It's a watering hole. It's a place where people come, whether it's in a subway or just a bar or a quick bite place. Yeah. It's a place people come to gather. And that's exactly what we wanted. Um, and 229 is the calling code for New Marlboro and Sheffield. It's, so it's 413-229, blah, 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 blah. Every, oh, wow. Everybody's phone number, 229. I swear to God, up to this day, I thought that 229 was the number of the building. So It also is the number of the building. Oh, my God. Which is why I was like, ding, 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 home run, let's do it, 229. Cantina, 229. So Cantina is, is community house. And the fact that we did tacos to start, and then we decided by popular demand to bring the tacos back, and so we've always had one taco night. Uh, now, but but this was at this point that was 2015. You had that successful summer in 2015. Yeah. 2016 comes. Are you doing only tacos during the summer, or did you expand it? No. Point? So at what point did you expand to actually do a full-on? So we restaurant? we reopened fully, like full opening July 1st, with four nights a week of our regular menu and one night a week on Tuesdays, continuing the taco tradition. So it, it's been, it was confusing for sure in the beginning because everyone thought we were a Mexican restaurant because, oh, it's Cantina and they serve tacos. And it's like, so people would show up and they'd look at the menu and see all of my weird fucking shit that I'm putting on the <laughs> menu and being like, uh, we were expecting a Mexican restaurant. I'm like, ooh, yeah, sorry. 
But let me tell you, margarita sales are high because <laughs> once you have tequila on your mind when you make a reservation, there's no going back. Yep. Uh, which is probably why I became obsessed with mezcal, which we should, we should write that down and talk about mezcal and a whole yeah. different thing. Yeah. I don't know how that totally relates, but maybe we'll drink some one time and make an opener. Uh, yeah. so 2016 open the restaurant. Uh, we considered the food, we call the food world fair made local because we really tried to make seasonality the driver for the ingredients that we're using. And if you're going to truly limit the amount of ingredients that you have coming in, I wanted to broaden the spectrum by showcasing multiple different cuisines. And when you, tr the best part about traveling is the eating and the worst part about coming home is not the uh what's it called i don't know i'm blanking when you fly and then the time zone fucks you jet up lag. jet lag thank you. it's not the jet lag it's the fact that you go to that thai restaurant in your town after you get back from thailand you're like yo oh I, my god i know thai food now like yeah. i'm gonna order i'm gonna order the dope shit on the menu and it has no resemblance to what you had while you're away because farm to table is not a not a term in foreign countries it's just the way it is. Yeah. You go to Mexico and you know, you want to get a roast chicken. They're like, <laughs> you know, you got a wood grill out there and, and they're not importing. There's no, no farm to table. Yeah. yeah. It's just what it is. Why yeah. would, why would you import something from somewhere else when that's what you have? And so we found that through seasonality and really letting the, letting the vegetables dictate the menu, and people told me that nobody's going to want to eat Korean food and Thai food and Italian food and all in the same night. Well, guess what? <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And, and there's a lot of overlap, actually. And because as crazy as it all sounded in my head and on paper, there is a common theme, the ingredients. Yeah. So it, it actually all makes sense together. And, and you can go from having a a Japanese inspired appetizer to an Italian inspired thing because, because the ingredients are, are hyper-focused on that week. So of course there's, there's consistency in the menu. It, it's harmonious. It works. So, uh, that, that was like the birth of Cantina and it continued to grow and grow. And Emily and I took everything upon ourselves and have always had tremendous staff to continue to push the bar with us. I've always felt super lucky that the staff that comes through Cantina really gets empowered and feels like it's up to me to hold a portion of this and continue to push it. And so, you know, we hire somebody new, they come in, they, they, they get comfortable. And by the second month, they're already making recommendations on, well, we should also be doing this. So they raise the bar in their own right. And then myself, Emily and everybody else, catches up to that point hmm. and then somebody else says no 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 we should also be paying attention to this hmm. well, oh now we bring the bar up again hmm. and there's no way I could have done that on my own that that came from really really good hiring and really starting from the ground up making a culture of let's be awesome yeah. that's the best the two best compliments I've ever gotten are that was awesome and that was incredibly thoughtful hmm. because that one tells me fun and one tells me that somebody recognized that there was more than just turning the lights on to their evening. And that, that's one thing I do want to talk about in the reopening cantina now 
is just like what chaos goes into actually getting the doors open. But wait, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Cause I, I want to, I also want to hear the scope of the story. Cause, uh, you're reopening Cantina. Yes. If you're reopening, obviously, well, let me, technical issues here. <laughs> Anyways, you're reopening Cantina. That means that Cantina is not open. Why did you close when you closed and how was the obvious answer to why you closed the pandemic? Uh, what was it like right before? What was it like when it hit? What was it like during? I think that's a, that's a great, great place to begin. Um, I was in, I was in Aspen actually when the pandemic started. I was out there doing some snowboarding with some friends. I went to LA. To Aspen has the greatest winter go karting track. Really? In the world, yes. Like available in the winter or yes. on ice? On ice. Because I, I, I don't know it's if you saw those ice. videos of Max Verstappen in the Red Bull machine driving on ice I before the season. Not. Oh, okay, I did not. we'll pull that up later. But, but it, it, they do have it and they change the tires. Uh, in case you guys, you obviously don't know yet, but you will. As time goes by, you will realize that Josh and I are pretty fond of uh, motorsports, particularly the form, Formula One. But anyways, they change the tires to snow tires and it's a completely different style of driving and it looks like the funnest go-karting experience that you can have Let's in go. life. Let's so go. Next time you go to Aspen, invite me. Okay. I will love to go and go-kart. Can do. <laughs> Anyways, you were there so during the pandemic. So I went from Aspen to LA to meet with some clients that were going to be getting married that summer at Cantina. And then it popped off like super quickly. And I tried to hop the, I actually called a friend that was in LA. What also, month was that? It was, you know, March, March, the first week of March, 2020. Oof. And I called my friend Anna, who was living in LA at the moment, and was like, should we rent a car and drive home? Like, what are we doing? And anyway, I flew back, and I got back to the restaurant on Friday night. I'd have to look at calendar to see what date that was, you know, Friday the 15th or something of March. Mm -hmm. I checked in with the team and was like, what are we doing? Like, what's, what's, what's the protocol? Like, okay, and we're... We're splitting all the plates. We're not doing any shared plates. And we've removed three tables. And I'm looking at the dining room. I'm seeing all of these amazing regulars of ours, some of which that are like a little bit older. You know, we have a, a nice older clientele in, in New Marlboro. And I'm looking at them like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? Yeah. Are, like, aren't you watching the news? Like, why are you here? Yeah. And it was full. And, and I called Billy because we had opened Mooncloud. December of 2019. And, and just real quick, Billy, for those of you who don't know, all three of you, <laughs> <laughs> Billy is the, uh, the epitome of, uh, of bartender in the, uh, in the Berkshire County. The Stud. Head mixologist of all of us. Gangster. Yes, very much so. So, so I called Billy and I was like, Billy, what's it look like down there? He's like, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. And I grabbed Emily and the three of us, and Sarah Wallach at the time and Ren Price kind of sat down. And we're like, what are we doing? And we decided that night to pull the plug on both businesses. And this was pre any announcements that that's what you were supposed to do. Both businesses, meaning uh, Moon, Cantina and Mooncloud. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and so we, we pulled the plug and it was amazing. Like everybody snapped into action. Like this is at mm. midnight. Wow. After a Friday night service. 
And then we split up. I was still at Cantina. Billy was on, you know, FaceTime with us. And the Cantina crew, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, kitchen, start working on a to-go menu. We're moving to to-go tomorrow. Front of house, start building a website. And we were all there until 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And by 9 o'clock the next day, we had a full online store. Uh, we had ordered some grocery items and developed, essentially like converted all the mise en place that we had done into stuff that was going to be packaged and ready to go out the door. And it was a good week, you know, week, 10 days that we were doing this and everyone else was like, why are you, why are you doing it? We're like, it was, it was just too crazy in there. I, I didn't feel comfortable. There were so many unknowns. There still are. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I remember that week. That week was... It was one week in particular that was incredibly dark. It was like the one week where... Uh, the restaurant I was working at at the time... Uh, we were all sort of waiting for Governor Baker and Trump at the time to just tell us what, we, what, what it was that we were going to do or not. And it was incredibly dark going into the supermarket and seeing people that you know. And you can just see the, yeah. the tension and everybody's like very uncertain. Very, very uncertain. Very uncertain. Not knowing at all where to go or what to do or what to think of it uh, or even how to talk about it. I remember one instance I started talking to a friend of mine about it. Uh, and then I quickly realized that his kids were, were, were right next to him. And he just looked at me and he's like, should we be talking about this in front of the kids? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Do you? I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. But we we all adjusted. You know, like it, it became new normal very quickly. And, you know, pivot has obviously been the word of the last three years. Yeah. Um, and it feels like we opened 10 restaurants in the last three years. Um from going from to go to then doing, you know, the grocery to then doing family meals to then all of a sudden it's springtime and we opened up outside and we built a trailer so that people could just be outside and then Cantina turned into Woodstock and there were a bazillion people on the lawn and we were getting calls from state police saying that we were over capacity because the whole road was full of cars because we, we had the space for it. I mean... We had just built the deck the year before. So, you know, we, we scored there and having this massive outdoor space that was defined. But then with the lawn, I mean, people would show up an hour before we opened and set up their, their blankets and Margaritaville chairs. And <laughs> I'm serious, man. I'm serious. And it was this, it was this big thing. And, and Mooncloud did the same thing. We moved to the back, the back field behind the building on the other side of the road tracks. We spray painted circles on the lawn as like social distancing circles, like claim your circle and then don't leave your fucking circle, you know? Um, but so much pivoting and, and back and forth and, and all this. And I think that's, that's where the closure came after grinding, 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 and these tiny little minute pivots this way, this way, this way, and finally coming to this feeling of this industry can't go down. There's too much demand, right? We, we learned that during COVID, that people mm. need restaurants. Yeah. 
I mean, th that first that first closure period where everything was shut down, and then once things came back in the spring, it was like hallelujah, mm -hmm. like thank goodness. So that really told us restaurants are going to have to be the ones to adapt. Yeah, because they're not going to go extinct. Yeah, and if restaurants have to adapt, I feel like we we as a group, you know, with that that staff was was so amazing during the COVID time. I mean, they banded together, they showed up to work early, they, they took pay cuts. We were doing delivery to Pittsfield, dropping barbecue off for people, no problem. Um, but we just came to this feeling of, this is not sustainable. Like, it's, it's, we're working way too hard, we're way too smart to be doing this stupid shit over and over and over again every day. I, well, what's the what's the saying? You know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting right. a different result. Right. Well, that's what it felt like. Every day we'd show up to work, and we were we were getting it done. There's no question about it. But it was like it didn't feel if if we're if if we're going to use COVID as the time stop as BC and AC, yeah. Then let's stop pivoting and let's actually get off the treadmill. Like we're running on this treadmill yeah. and let, let's not, let's not adjust l minutely. Let's yeah. take a giant step to the left and use that energy. Yeah. Use the fact that so many people want to be here with us. Let's take advantage of that. Use the fact that, that the Berkshires overnight stopped being a seasonal destination. Yeah. And in order to do that, there was no way we could make that big of a change by being open. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, like if it's just about money, if it's just about making money, there are plenty of other things to do right. that I can still enjoy going right. back to that stacking of values. Right. I can still pick my son up from school. I can still see my wife. I can still cook dinner at home, all these things. So we, we, we close. I mean, we closed on July 5th last year in the middle of summer, canceled hundreds of reservations for the rest of the summer. Um, because I just said this, it, we need to, take a, a break. We need to step back we need to assess the situation. Another analogy. I'm big on the analogies these days just because the shit that's going on in my head doesn't quite make sense yeah. when I say it out loud. So I have to well, like, times, yeah. I have to resort to something that does make sense. But another one I've been throwing around is it's like whitewater rafting. You're going down this, this rapid and you're making these quick, super like, ah, jah, jah, boom, you hit a rock, you spin around and then you do Instead of doing that, we got out of the boat and we sat on the side of the stream and watched everybody else go down and, and started taking notes and say, oh, if you, if you slow down right there and you actually hit the rock a little bit, you can, you can get a nice bump and go all the way to the right and then, and then cut back this way and, and really strategizing, trying, mm -hmm. to, trying to think about it, think yeah. critically, bird's yeah. eye view. And in doing that, I've had the time to chat with some amazing people to ask questions to some amazing people, some people that have much bigger, more successful restaurants. I mean, it was clear during COVID, some people took off and did really well, the creative ones, and others caved. And so I, I you know, I tapped as many resources as I could. Hey, what's what does come next? I read this amazing book called The Next Supper, which is all about what comes next for restaurants post COVID. And it wasn't until I, and I don't read books, I'm, I'm dyslexic, and <laughs> the last book I read before this one was Phil Jackson's autobiography in eighth grade. Oh boy. Because I'm a big hooper. Uh, <laughs> but I read, my father got me this book for Christmas, 
and I sat down one day cause I had time all of a sudden and my, my, my daughter was 13 comes in the living room, sees me reading a book. She's like, uh, Josh, what are you doing? <laughs> She'd never seen me reading a book before. Uh, so, and I didn't even finish this book because by the time I got three quarters through it, like I was so energized and like, yo, there's, there's a way, there's a way to do it. As long as the equation equals great food, great vibes and happy customers. Yeah. Why can't we change everything that comes before it? Yeah. I mean, cost of labor going through the roof, cost of goods going through the roof. I mean, these, these, are, these are conversations that we're going to dive deep into at some point. Just the fact that everything is changing. And you know what isn't changing? The restaurant business model. It has stayed the same for the last hundred years. Yeah. Technology has advanced it a little bit. Yeah. For sure. If you use it. Yeah. And even me, like I, I feel pretty tech savvy, but sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't really want to spend an extra $200 a month on something as right. even though they're like, Oh, we can improve sales and this and that. But you know what? Tech is there and we should take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we tried to look at the whole thing and say, okay, how can we come back and make sure that we're providing what everybody wants but do it in a way that runs our restaurant as a business. It's mm. not a charity. It's mm. not a passion project. It's not something that should require one, two, three, or an entire team of people to drag across the finish line every day. It needs to be sustainable. Yeah. Burnout is real. Yeah. And truthfully, I don't think that the closures for restaurants are anywhere close to done because People are still, it's like adrenaline. You know, your, your buddy in a, is in an avalanche and you got so much energy and the adrenaline, you can shovel them out. But by the yep. time you get them out, your arm's falling off. You're done. You're toast. Yeah. So I, I think restaurants have been in that, in that survival mode. That's where we live. We're in the weeds. I mean, as cooks and restaurant people, we're okay being uncomfortable for the most part. It's a lifestyle yep. of like, I'm going down, I'm in the weeds. I'm tired. I got to get up again. I got to do it. Put the show on over, over, over. But that, 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 that wears you down big time. Yep. And I think that without taking that proper time that we did this winter to stop, look, listen, reassess, listen again, evaluate, listen some more, talk to some more people. I don't think we would have the ability to truly understand what needs to be done in order to come back with a model that allows the business to be s successful, to empower the employees, mm -hmm. to uh, give rights and a better lifestyle to the employees. Yeah. I mean, a big thing that, that I want to talk about is work-life balance. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that came out of COVID that I think is a good thing. Work-life balance? What is that? <laughs> is yeah, here, that here we are. Here we are. It's 1130 on Friday, May 13th. <laughs> And, uh, Let's face it, man. We're kind of addicted to the to the work side of the balance. Yeah, but this is fun. You know, yeah. like th th this it is always. this is fun. And when you're doing something with with great people, which oftentimes restaurants are like a family. Yeah, absolutely. And so it it does become addicting because it's it's just it's what your life is around. I mean, you ever for anybody that's that's listening, those three people sit and talk with. 
a group of people that work in a restaurant and all they will talk about is the restaurant. Yes. You know, you ever, you ever hang out with people after work and it's just the conversation keeps going like, yes. Oh, and you ever hang out with a couple of cooks and they're like, Oh, well this one restaurant I worked at. No, oh, I used to work with this guy. It's all work, 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 yes. work, work all yeah. the time. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. But we live again, going back to the Berkshires, we live in this amazing place. Yeah. Let's enjoy it. I don't know who I was talking to. Actually, there's this, this young kid that I just hired to be a server. And we were talking about this work-life balance. He was like, yeah, people pay thousands of dollars to come and visit here. We should be able to take advantage of that too. That's why yeah. we're here, sure. right? Sure. If, if, if you didn't have any interest in what the Berkshires has to offer, why would you be here? So let's not take that for granted. And that's one thing, one little thing that I'm trying to do right now is even though... I feel way overwhelmed, way consumed by so many things, taking the time to pause just for a moment mm -hmm. and realize that life is pretty good. Yeah. Life is pretty good. Yeah. And I think that that balance is what everybody needs um, and is what we're trying to instill uh, with Cantina, starting with the fact that we hired two chefs, two head chefs. Two chefs. Two chefs. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about it. Uh, Cantina 2022. What is up, and why? Cantina 2022. Um. Again, chatted with a ton of people this winter, and uh, met with both of these chefs that are amazing talented people very well respected in the community both grew up locally uh and came to this realization you know i want i want them to be able to take the next step they've been executive chefs at restaurants before but i want them to have a full look at the full business and in order to do that being a solo chef operator is very challenging. I mean, the fact that I have Emily on my team, I mean, she hates it when people are like, oh, you're Emily, you're, you're Josh's wife, or you're the Cantina wife. Brutal, brutal. Because if anybody followed a camera around her in a reality TV show, they would see the opposite. They'd be like, oh, your husband walks around and prances while you do all the work, that's fucking cool. Um, so yeah, be, being a solo chef operator is incredibly difficult. Um, and especially with labor, the way it is both difficult to find and also expensive, I recommended to both of them as we were starting to negotiate what this deal was going to look like, I was like, what if there were two of you? What if you split the workload of a chef in half? I mean, how the difference between a salary for a line cook and the salary of a chef at a certain point are not too far off. And so why not pay the extra little bit to go ahead and bring somebody that is a duplicate of yourself? I mean, that's what every chef wants. Mm -hmm. They want two extra hands of their own. They don't want to have to continue to babysit, babysit, babysit. They want to, this is what I want. And they want to hand it to them. That, that, that's the dream. And we don't have that in the Berkshire. So having two chefs yet, we don't have that yet. We don't have that yet, but yet another conversation we'll get into on how we're gonna how we're gonna build that stock of interested young people. But uh, yeah, these guys met, and we, as an icebreaker, actually, the three of us all wrote an opening menu for Cantina. Um, 
they had not met before and we sat down the three of us and we walked through our menus and it was it was this hilarious thing of like ooh, cool oh awesome you know and like reading each other's chef notes <laughs> and seeing what each other's visions of the future looks like and realize I, I imagine that at some point in this conversation you're going to tell everybody a little bit about the menu about the menu you want to know about, about the menu about the menu yeah i might be able to fill you in a little bit about the menu when you do that i'd love to hear what your menu for cantina <laughs> yeah I don't know where that is. It's I don't like know if a that couple of up, things, but I, 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 couple of couple of like goodies. A couple of goodies. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. But these guys, they're excited to have each other. They're excited to be a part of our joint. Uh, you know, feeling of where restaurants are going and what needs to happen in order to get them there making the hard decisions on on how the operations are going to work, how the pay structure is going to work, what that looks like from the guest perspective. And um, and to be able to, I mean, back to my, you know, world fair made local, it also plays totally into that. You have two different dudes with very different styles. Uh, and I was joking the other day, Oliver is very trash, uh, classically trained French in the past coming from Rouge. Wait, I, don't, I don't believe we actually told our audience <clears throat> who the two folks are, who so the two chefs are. Oliver and Tunis and Ray Stalker. Um, and Ray is much more playful, weird. He likes to call it white boy Asian-y, <laughs> kind of eclectic. Um, and I was joking with them the other day as I was starting to read their menu. I said, I, I guarantee that by like month two, you guys are going to flip roles where Ray's going to be super into the classics all of a sudden and be like, let's put a Coca Vaughn on the menu. And I was like, nah, it's too basic. You know, like, let's do something with, uh, you know, crushed matza and mozzarella. And Ray's going to be like, yeah, that's too weird. And they're going to keep flip flopping. But I love that. Like, that's, yeah. that's where it is. And they're both badass cooks. And you know, Rafa, like, if, if, you're, in a, if you're in a kitchen with a, another or a couple of badass cooks like life is good oh, you got yeah. people to bounce ideas off of you're shoving oh, yeah. spoons into each other's faces taste this critique it the camaraderie and and creativity is at an all-time high when there are more capable and interested cooks in the kitchen and so i think that they are they have put their egos completely aside We've had discussions of whose names come first on the menu and who's this and like who, who that. And they're like, it's not about us. It's about what our goals are together. And I'm, I'm super grateful for both of them to be on board and, and working in such a way and, and really showcasing, you know, we're going to butt heads at some point. It's just, it's inevitable, but sure. back to defensive driving. One of the first things we did when we sat down, we we're like, look, as long as we're all aware that at some point we're going to butt heads, we'll be able to navigate around it. Yeah. Just be on the heads up. Know that like, Hey, this could be the conversation <laughs> fucking, you know, cranberry or grape on yeah. something like that could be that, Ooh, this is the one. And, and know that's coming Be like, you know what? Is it really worth getting in this thing? No bigger picture. Let Cantina be the guiding light for all of us. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to oversee them in any way and their food decisions. These guys are much more talented than I, than I am or ever was in the cooking world. Uh, but I'm excited to be a part of that conversation too. And, and to 
give feedback myself and to learn some new things as well. Yeah. And, uh, and see where this thing goes. I mean, they, as far as the opening menu goes, they, they asked for me to give them all of my old menus. And so oh they took they took a stack of menus. Billy Paul is an absolute maniac with the details, and so he kept every single menu from his tenure at Cantina, with notes on everything from the pre-shift meetings. And he delivered us a box, and they split them up half and half, and they went home and read through them just to get inspired. And then essentially they said, "Let's let's start with that, and then huh. we'll go from there." And so they got some of the big hitters coming back that had been fan favorites for years. With a new spin on some of them, but trying to make, keep it familiar. And are, are we leaving that up to uh, our guests to find out when they arrive, or do you want to tease them a little bit with what? Could uh, I, I could I could tease them a little bit. Um, the bibimbap is coming back, Ooh. which which is exciting considering that was that was a big a big dish for a lot of people, and hasn't really been on the menu for. I mean, since COVID, for sure. Oh, wow. I haven't had any bib and bops. Um, what else is on there? I saw a buckwheat bellini with smoked trout roe and whipped creme fraiche on there. Mm-hmm. I saw some foie gras on the menu, a ramp rangoon Ooh. with XO sauce, I think, that I was smelling today being made. Um. They're excited to get into the pasta machine. I have a, we have a pasta extruder and make our own pasta at Cantina, and so oh. they're they're excited to be playing with that. Oh, he's wanted one of those. I saw a gnocchi sardi dish on there with some crispy, crispy prosciutto, uni, mm-hmm. spring onions. Um, I'm starting to see that our audience is going to start noticing my mm, mm. oh yeah. every time you talk about food. Yeah. <laughs> we like, should. We, we, here's a compilation of yeah, Rafa sh- being sh- hungry. Should I, text, should I text Billy and have him bring us a tagliere board over here? And right <gasps> I know. <gasps> oh, if, um, if you do that, I will be forever grateful. <laughs> that is for sure. So the but, food will be fun. Uh, you know, we're, we're what trying. About, what about what about uh, what about uh, um, some soft serve? Right. Soft serve, soft serve. Well, it's funny. Both of them came to me and they were like, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert in desserts, but I like to make desserts, uh, inspired by nostalgic childhood memories. Mm-hmm. And to me, like soft serve is the, is the epic one, you know, like the Mr. Softy ice cream truck and being like, you know, chocolate vanilla twist. If you were totally crazy, you get the double stack, you know, cone, <laughs> um, man, can't imagine eating that much ice cream right now but uh <laughs> soft serve soft serve machine will be back and uh yeah they're they're excited to start playing with that that's for some sure big news. that's some big news yeah it's gonna be awesome um so i'm not really worried about the food it's we, we've, we've been so focused on guest experience and business optimization um and Actually, I want to talk about a couple of like the new things that we dug up that we're going to be implementing. That Before you talk about that, okay. I'd like to ask you to tell people a little bit um, from a, a lot of people don't know what it's like to work at a restaurant. 
let alone, let alone open one, and let alone reopen one. Um, those are all very different things, but they all have one commonality, which is uh, it takes one being in it, usually, to realize the amount of work that goes into it. For uh, sure. And I don't know. I've, I've met you about a month ago. <laughs> Ever since then, it just seems like you've just been on it so much. You've just been going and going and going and going and going, and it never ends, and the lists go on. And Totally, man. Totally. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what's been like it's being on that end. Re re opening restaurants is, is like a... Uh, Let's call it a reverse bell curve. <laughs> you start off with this, with this like picture perfect idea in your head of like, it's going to work and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be smooth and everything's going to taste great and everything's going to work perfectly. And like, yes, I can see the final vision. Great. And that's exciting. And you start talking about that with people and people are like, oh yeah, that's, th yeah, that's great. And it's like, okay. And then eventually you hit a point where you're like, okay, now we need to start working. Let's stop talking and start working. And that's where the fear comes in when you're like, okay, well, what do we have to do to get open? And you start with a list, you know, like a prep list or anything. You just, you start of like, okay, we're going to need to do this. We're going to need to set this up. We need to get in touch with the lawyers. We need to get in touch with the builders. We need to get in touch with the health inspector. And okay, what are we doing about the dish machine? And then all of a sudden your list gets so big, you start breaking it up into categories. And maybe you make an effort to delegate some things like, okay, this, this is a list for somebody else. And this is a list for today. And this is a list for next week. I mean, some of my lists are like ASAP, soon, and later are like the subcategories. And it's just about chomping them down but it's never like it's it's impossible to go to sleep at night because the second you actually stop working is when your mind actually has the ability to start thinking yeah so i've been i you know you're working all day long boom 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 and then you finally get into bed and you're like ah nope and, and I, I go, I go to TV. So I open my little iPad up and I go to Netflix and I watch whatever terrible TV show. I mean, I've watched some really, really bad <laughs> TV shows. Don't That's, ever, don't ever ask me for TV recognition. Cause I watched nine seasons of the hundred. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. And a good part of me is quite happy. Yeah. But Emily's like, come on, just, just, just turn, turn it off. Just like try and get some rest. She's like, you want me to put a headspace on? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll try a headspace. So I close the iPad. She puts a headspace on. It's like, you know, breathe in, breathe out. Like, and just think about your breath and your body. And, and this one night, the first night she put a headspace on, I got so in the zone. Like I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all in on this headspace right now. Everyone's talking about headspace. I'm going to go all in on it. I need to get in the meditation game. And I got so into it that I got laser focused and I, everything, like my mind was clear all of a sudden. I was like, holy shit, I can solve the world's problems <laughs> right now. <laughs> like I am good to go. Like, oh so it, I mean, it, it went. polar opposite of what we were trying to Exactly. It, it went from like this to just like, like laser focus, like, okay, 
Step one, what's the first thing you're gonna do tomorrow? You're gonna wake up, <laughs> then what? Okay, next step, S stand up, put your clothes on, brush your teeth, take a shower. Okay, are you gonna walk every single stair? Are you gonna jump a stair? Okay, cool, wait, go back. Did you brush your teeth yet? Oh, yes, you did, what are you? Laser focus, man, laser focus. Next thing you know, it's 5.30 in the morning and, oh and, and her alarm is going off and I'm thinking to myself, fuck, I did it again. If I had just watched some shitty TV, I might have fallen asleep. Uh, yeah. I might have uh, fallen asleep. But it's, 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 it's lists on lists on lists on lists. And, and without all of that, it's impossible to try and get organized. And then you get into the fun part of you know you get into a little bit a little bit more of the fun that the fear starts to reside maybe you cross one or two things off the list awesome super cool i like i i'm not a builder by any means but i've really enjoyed that part of being in the restaurant world of like rigs you know like figure it out oh yeah yeah yeah. in fact last night my uncle paul and i we were we were in the canteen until about 4 4 30 trying to figure out how to customize the dishwasher that had been in, delivered to fit into the tiny space that we had. So we had, I swear to you that this thing was on the back of my truck, this dishwasher, because the delivery guy forgot to put us down for delivery. So we had to go all the way up to Albany and pick it up. It's on the back of my truck. It's three 30 in the morning. All the lights are on and I have a angle grinder and I'm grinding the door grinding the handlebar off of the door on the left-hand side so that we could get a little tighter against the wall. And there are sparks flying everywhere. And people must be driving by. I mean, how many people were driving by last night? There might have been three the entire night. But it's 3.30 in the morning. Somebody drives by and with sparks flying everywhere. And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing in there? But that kind of stuff I like. In fact, Billy Paul just walked into the building right now and we're going to get a camera on him, but he'll, he'll, he'll go ahead and tell you a quick story about getting Mooncloud open. Cause at the time he was working up at Cantina and Paul and I were down trying to get a bunch of projects done at Mooncloud and Billy would swing by kind of like he is right now, right after work and, yeah. and just see the dumb, crazy shit that Paul and I had been working all day on trying to figure out how are we going to make this work? Problem, solution, problem, solution. And every time you, you cross one of those things off the list or come up with a solution, guess what? There's five, six, seven, eight more issues that came up from that. And that's, that's, the, that's the competitive challenge, creative solution aspect that I really do like. And even though like today was this crazy day of no sleep last night, trying to get this dishwasher and going, going, going. But by the end of the day, once it was done, I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Billy, Billy, Paul. Billy welcome to the, to the Bunch Ops, man. Hey, buddy. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, cheers. How you doing? You just get off? Just done. Yeah. Salud. Cheers, Rob. That's it. How was the night up at the cloud? It was chill. We had a good early rush. Uh, you know, just, you know, constantly exceeding expectations, having some fun doing it. And uh, good. Had, our, had our, like, three, our three turns, the... Uh, Early bird special. <laughs> and we open the door and like, are you open yet? Are you open yet? Like, yes, yes. Come on in. Let's set you up. And then uh, that uh, whole cocktail hour pre-dinner, and then that uh, after dinner, just uh, have a good time, jam some tunes, have a good have a good time with it. But uh, sometimes the town closes itself, and we we just abide. You know? <laughs> like just, we'll let that there's happen. There's no point in forcing it, you know. And other times the town doesn't want to go home. And no doubt. Sometimes we abide and sometimes we don't. Right. Yes. Yes. 
But uh, yeah, it's funny. You were, I remember that story. You were just oh yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Oh, get, it, get, it, get into that a little bit Forget because I think my ears oh, still man. hurt from that night. That was bananas. It was it was funny. I mean, because like you know the the competition, the struggle, the the drive, all those things that you're talking about. You know, it comes down to like when I showed up one night at two thirty in the morning after we crushed a killer cantina night. I mean, probably lingered for like a, a blind mezcal tasting. <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, Lorenzo and I, Ren and I, come down. And sure as shit, you and Paul are just struggling with this drill. Um, you know, you drag a 600-pound, you know, like drill. Drill press. Like, drill we, yeah, press. we run a massive drill press now. And uh, only to find that it didn't fucking work. <laughs> <laughs> and so in order to actually drill the holes to hang the, you know, the infinity shelves. <laughs> yep. Oh man! Oh, well, shit. not only did the like the belt kept slipping on it, but also the bit was so worn down mm-hmm. that it took forever to put these holes through the thing. And the screech on the ash that we were using—I yeah. mean, Billy walked in and immediately grabbed headphones and was like holding headphones over <laughs> his ears. Yeah. And and you know, Paul is at this point so frustrated and like sixteen IPAs deep at this point. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he might have just pulled his hearing aids out. You like know? double IPAs, yeah, too. Double. No, no, like none of this, like, you know, 5.265 bullshit. Like, you know, 8.2s, just like, you know, buy the four pack. But, like, we're like, hey, man, is there another way? Is there another way? And then, you know, the stubbornness kicks in. It's like, okay, we're just, we're going to make this happen. Like, it, it has to happen tonight. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. And, and sometimes, especially with the openings, where, I mean, you see it all the time, you know, with construction and restaurant openings. Oh, yeah, we're going to be opening in January. And next thing you know, it's it's November and of the, that year. And you're like, ah, we're, we're going to be opening soon, soon, soon. But we when we set hard dates, you know, like we got to get there. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how many hours it takes. Like we got to get there. And this was one of those things that night. And same thing last night, getting this dishwasher prepped out. It was like we don't have an option. There's no going home until this stuff gets done. So when are we getting there? When when is Cantina opening again? So we're we're hosting a industry party coming up soon just to welcome uh, the community of hard ass working people that have been grinding it out while I've been prancing around chatting with people like you, Rafa, about <laughs> things. Um, I'll see if I can get the night off. Yeah, uh, we'll get you the night off. Uh, <laughs> So we, we're going to be picking up the, uh, I reached out to Daniel from the dream away to see if he would give us the nod and, and let us take, take on his, uh, industry hoedown. So we're going to be doing that next week or the week after and, uh, opening to the public on June 26th, which is a Thursday. So today's Friday. So two weeks from yesterday. If people want to make reservations or stuff like that, is or can they? Yeah, How yeah. They? Reservations went live this morning at 10 a.m. through Talk. You can go to our website, cantina229.com, and there's links right there or through the Instagram. Now, you did brief me very uh, quickly about Talk yeah. in that you just told me, oh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I really want to tell people about Talk. And uh, I had told you that I didn't know about Talk, and you seem very excited about it. I'm I am super very excited. excited to know what is so exciting about Talk. This is this is the third year I've been talking about, sh- or second year I've been talking about shifting to Talk. 
Uh, but this this is a good segue into what's new at Cantina as far as protocols mm-hmm. and and operations. So Takwa is a reservation platform that was made by uh, Nick Kunis, who is uh, one of the owners of Alinea, which was one of the best restaurants in the country with Chef yes. Grant Atkins. Uh, then they opened Next, and then he also opened the Aviary, which is a super high-end cocktail bar. Uh, About the best. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. Take it easy. Billy's sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make I it. Th- I think Billy agrees with me. He, we, we, we've been talking about going, but I think they closed, actually. I think the Aviary closed. But super molecular gastronomy-driven right. cocktails and food and... Uh, if you haven't seen the Chef's Table episode on Grant and... They also have a wonderful book about their methods and right. some recipes, but a lot of the interesting part of that book is mostly the methodology and the stuff that they do. So if anybody wants to check that out, definitely right. recommend it. So essentially this guy, Nick Kakunas, when he was opening uh, Alinea with Grant, he said to Grant, look... Um, I understand you want to be the greatest chef in the world and the most creative dudes and artistic dudes out there, but uh, we can't do that until I ensure that we're running this restaurant as a business. Hmm. And so he really did. And in the chef's table episode, you'll see Grant painting desserts on the table and all this crazy stuff. But that didn't come until they ensured that they were running a successful business because so many restaurants are like, you know, break even. I mean, the margins are super, super thin and, and so many other things contribute to the fact that it's not easy to make money in this business. But, and yet here we are and we fucking love it. Yeah. Um, but this, this, this guy one day is standing in the restaurant and looking and sees an empty table and he says, why isn't there anyone sitting there? Like, Oh, they didn't show up. He goes, that's crazy. We have a 200 person wait list every single night for Alinea. How is it possible that we have an empty table? Now, at Alinea, where it's a tasting menu and it's, I don't know, $250, $300, I haven't been. Um, that's a big deal to have an empty four top. You know, that's $1,000 of revenue every single night that somebody doesn't show up. And that's been a big issue for us at Cantina and a lot of restaurants is the no-show uh, issues. And at, you know, open table was definitely the biggest hitter. Resi came on and establish the texting functionality, which they said cuts the no-shows down from 30% down to like 20% or 18% or something like that. And, um, you know, Resi has options to go ahead and charge people a penalty, which we've done in the past because it's not about me wanting to like put more money in my pocket. It's, you're, you're screwing the business when you don't show up if you don't give enough notice, and you're also screwing the staff because those, the, the front of house people are expecting those tips. That's right. And so that's your, 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 it's a double screw right there. Yep. And it happens so often that people come up, especially since we're becoming even more and more a big tourist destination, and they make a reservation at Cantina, and they make a reservation at Prairie Will, and they make a reservation at Cafe Adam. And then Saturday night comes around, it's five o'clock, everybody gets dressed up and they say, okay, where are we going? I don't know, let's decide. Mm. Which one do we want to go to? We can go to any, all three, whichever one we want, because mm. we have reservations with all three. And I call from the cantina phone. I call a reservation when they don't show up, and I, no answer. Call again, no answer. Then I pick up my cell phone, which has a 917 New York number, and I call the same number, and immediately, hello, gotcha, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
But nobody likes then being told, hey, I'm so sorry, but I have to charge your credit card, which you gave us a cancellation fee. I immediately get, if you put a single dollar on that credit card, I'm going to tell all my friends never. You don't even think. It's not worth it. It's brutal. So Nick Kakunas's philosophy behind talk is uh, restaurants are an experience just like a sporting event or a theater event or anything else. And, you know, even masseuses and doctors, you, you have a massage appointment or a physical therapy appointment and you call them last minute and say, hey, sorry, I can't make it. They're billing you. Yeah. Time. Time is money. So he thinks about it from a, a variable time slotting thing of when you have to fill times in order to make your business successful. Yeah. And so talk to, he, he, he had this idea and everyone told him it wasn't going to work because it's a little outside the box. But essentially he started uh, putting Alinea on a prepayment method where he released one night, three months of reservations. It booked out overnight. Everybody paid in full non-refundable where they were committing just like the theater yeah it's not like you buy you reserve seats at at one broadway show and another broadway show and the knicks game and then you decide once you get on the on the r train which one which stop you want to get off at and know that you're not going to be charged for all three no you make your decision that's right and it's a psych game that no matter how much money you have to pay ahead of time you're committed to it yeah so they did it alinea and and it dramatically so talk says that they reduce they've now reduced the no show rate down to i think yesterday she told me three percent something like that so it helps that makes a difference so as i'm trying to figure out ways to um expand where we can spend our money employees higher quality products which are continuing to be expensive and all these other things i'm trying to find ways to make sure that the business can actually sustain that and this is one of those things that I've found. Yep. So although we will not be doing the full Alinea talk method of a full prepayment ticketing system, uh, they have now been able to offer a deposit system. Mm-hmm. So it can range anywhere from $5 to $100 to the full experience. Um, but we're going to be charging or taking a deposit of $20 per person. Yeah. So you and Billy want to come in for a nice date night. You make the reservation on talk. You want to go on a date, Billy? <laughs> I would like that a lot. Yeah, yes, I'm do looking it. For, I, I thought you'd never ask, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. Speaking of not going to a sporting event, don't go on a date with Billy if you have to go to a sporting event afterwards because you will never make it to that sporting <laughs> event. <laughs> That's a story for another. I feel I like there is there. a story That's right a story there. For another I'll day. make it to the sporting Luke, event. Segue. Uh, oh, yeah, he will. I won't. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, did, I get, did I mess that up? Um, so yeah, we're we're going to be taking deposits, which uh, then integrate with the POS system. So your check will be presented to you as your total amount minus your deposit. You pay the remainder, um, which is a revolutionary thing because restaurants have always been in a back pay model, where payment is the last thing that happens. You order a computer online, you pay, they ship it to you. Yeah, you know you there, there's. And we're, we're, here we are paying That's such a, our liquor invoices. The money that I make today is to pay for the last two months of, of wine and liquor and the last 30 days of produce and the last 30 days of meat. It's, it's a backwards model. And when you don't have control over your ins and outs, you can't make educated decisions. And you can't run your business from, from a, you know, playing ahead kind of a game. Yeah. So, 
quick, quick interlude back to Nick, and then we'll move on to the next component. But this is why, like, I, I, I really want to meet this guy. Uh, if, if anybody, if any of the three listeners that are out there right now uh, have an in for Nick, have Nick. You, you're, you're yeah, or Nick, Nick, if you're listening, man, we'd love to have you on the show. So, so check this out. Uh, he sells out overnight for Alinea. Yeah, they got cash in the bank now, which is. Which never happens for restaurants. You right. never have cash in the bank. Right. And um, he said, all right, I got to start to move some of this money. So he calls his meat purveyor and says, look, I'd like to write you a check for the next three months of invoices. You know, can we make a guesstimate? And I'll, you know, I'll write you that check right now. And the guy was like, uh, let me find out if we can do that. And they get back to him with a discount because he is now able to plan and have the money to plan on how he's operating his meat aging business. Because mm-hmm. it turns out meat aging, you have to hit your numbers properly, just like you have to hit your numbers properly with your tables. And anything that he doesn't sell by like 65 days of aging meat, he sells for 99 cents a pound to be ground up for dog food. So by committing to certain things and paying for it, he was able to get a discount which brought his cost of goods down dramatically. Again, that money is not necessarily looking to go into anyone's pocket. It's looking to be spread around to make it more sustainable. Hmm. So uh, talk is an experience generated platform. So you'll see when you go online and it really breaks down the different experiences. We're just, we're just dabbling into what that, what the uh, program and platform really allows for. But you'll see that you can now reserve bar seats and there's a little description about what that is and our deck and the dining room and eventually when we decide to start cooking the barbecue, we'll be able to have a barbecue experience where you can prepay and order exactly what you want and then I can actually go out knowing how many people want the brisket platter, the rib platter, or the chicken platter and purchase the exact amount of right food so that we don't end up with a... uh, exorbitant amount of leftover barbecue and then you me and billy have to sit here eating ribs i don't yeah i don't like that model because i was i was hoping to be the recipient of those uh extra yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll 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 get you a little uh, qr code to get on <laughs> uh one of those there's an app for that yeah there's an app for that <laughs> but I, I like the way this guy thinks i like the way that he's has taken a serious leap of faith I understand to all the customers uh, that are listening to this and questioning, you know, we just went live today. We booked uh, 580 reservations between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. today. Within talk? Within talk today. Wow. Uh, And everybody paid a $20 deposit. And I got one email from somebody who accidentally booked for the wrong day saying, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting used to this new reservation system. So I know it's new and hang with us. We'll get comfortable and we're going to continue to utilize it. But this is definitely one of those companies that is for restaurants, by restaurants, trying to empower them to be able to operate at that high level uh, that we're looking to support and get into and are thrilled so far with the onboarding process and the capabilities of it. 
uh, and we're even talking about potentially using it at MoonCloud, not for the deposits, but that the, you can automatically add yourself to the wait list. And they're they're definitely future thinking, and that's exactly where we want to be. Is let's let's break outside the box a little bit. Let's let's be uncomfortable for a little moment, just yep. to know that we're getting we're getting yep. somewhere. That's yep. that's my big step to the left, not the small pivot. Big step to the left. Yeah. So talk, check it out. Uh, go slowly, put your credit card in, um, and know that that money will be taken off your bill at the end. So it all, it all comes through together. The other big one I wanted to just mention to kind of finalize some of the big things that are happening new at Cantina is we're shifting to a operational charge, uh, in lieu of gratuity, which has been something that has popped up and off and over. And Danny Meyer was a big one that, you know, pumped it real hard in New York. Uh, but the wage discrepancy is a big deal in my opinion. And I feel very fortunate again to have such amazing staff over the years that front of house people have, we've, we, we broke down that wall at Cantina of front and back of house. And I think Billy can back me up on this, that it was a total team effort. And we, we have always split tips completely in the front of house. There has been no, you know, keeping your own tips paying because it takes a team to get across the finish line. Yeah. And we're taking that one step further and saying the kitchen is part of that team. Yep. And legally, this is, this is, this is why I want to do this show because when I have this conversation with people, the light goes on, but so many people don't know these things, but legally you can't tip out somebody that isn't, I think it's 80% customer facing. So cooks can't be tipped out illegal. They're, they're facing the customers. The kitchen is an open kitchen. No. I, get, I guess there's a little bit of wiggle room there for sure. 80%. If yeah. the wording in the law is customer facing, all, right, well, let's, let's get, all it takes is tell your, bo- your, your boys to just look at them. Let's get my attorney in here and we'll start talking about this. Right. I, think, I think there might be a loophole there for sure. My contact. We shouldn't advertise any, the loophole too much so that you know, I know, I was the law say, doesn't decide that it's like, oh, you know what? Those folks at the Bunch Podcast did find a loop and a hole in our... In our in our law, we, we better close other, that. Other restaurateurs are going to start having customers come out to them and be like, you know, if you just caught a hole in your kitchen, <laughs> you can start tipping out the kitchen. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm yeah, looking like, okay, yeah, experience. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, I, I the cost of living is going up. People need to be, businesses need to be on the hook for yeah. paying people what they're worth. Yeah. And this this has been a big topic of conversation. And, and this winter, I really, I, I looked in the mirror and I, I tried to think about how did I contribute to this issue? Because that was just the world that I came up in of like 550 a week is your salary. Yeah. You work six days a week and brunch on top of that. So seven shifts. 550 a week and you're you know you show up at 11 you're out at 2 a.m it's absurd but you know here i was i opened up and i thought i was being a good guy paying people minimum wage hourly or you know slightly higher salaries and still working them to the ground and being like this is normal you got to get through this part you know keep going keep going you know and and getting in arguments with people who are asking for a day off like hey could i have saturday off to go to a concert and maybe like what are you crazy you work in a restaurant. You don't get days off. Yeah. But that's fucked up, man. I don't want to be that guy. So 
what, what, what has to happen is, is businesses need to step up and, and say, look, I'm committing to paying people what they're worth, yeah. no matter what. I'm not saying everybody has to shift away from tipping because as fucked up as tipping is, it's, it's here to stay and there's no way around it. We're all ingrained to tip. I mean, that's why we go to foreign countries and it's uncomfortable, right? It was I mean, also Danny's, Danny Meyer's realization when he switched from the... Danny Meyer, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a restaurateur out in New York City. He had a very, still has a, a couple of very successful restaurants uh, over there, 11 Madison Park being one of them, is a three Michelin star, probably one of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, he, also, doesn't, he doesn't own that anymore. He doesn't anymore? No. Well, then forget about that, everybody. He still, I think, owns the... Um, Shake Shack. Gramercy Tavern, um, and, Union uh, Square Cafe. Union Square Cafe, which is also a very, very good restaurant, very successful. The modern. He's a, he's a switched to a model that um, a few people might be familiar with, which was a model where the uh, gratuity, the tip that you usually add on to your check at the end of the night, uh, was already added on to it, um, to the check itself when you received it. Uh, Essentially, a twenty percent auto gratuity, right. but it it's was not an auto, an auto gratuity. Auto grat, but instead of being, you know, you would usually encounter that if you're going out to dinner with eight people, you know, yeah. bigger group. Um, he would he would do that if you were alone in the bar. Uh, he found that uh, a lot of his staff was making less money right by doing that right. Well, and, the front uh, of house staff right, but the uh, the main thing was that um, a, lot of, a lot of the culture of restaurants um, and a lot of the things that are developed within it have to do with the staff becoming uh, close to the customers and having a relationship with the community that they serve. Mm -hmm. uh, and the community being generous to, um, to, to basically, you know, to basically help out in whichever way they can. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that being financially, sometimes that being, you know, just showing up more or whatever. Uh, but anyways, the, he, I think he ended up reverting to a regular tip model after that. Yeah, I think, I think they've gone back and forth a couple of times. And I think the, the problem there is because you're in a city and so staff has the ability to move around and customers also have the ability to move around. And that's one of the reasons why I really want to test this out and then share our findings with the other restaurants around here because we're kind of the restaurants up here have a lot of power actually because we have this tremendous amount of tourism coming through and so if we all actually get together and decide look these are the standards of dining in the berkshires this is what it takes whether it's higher menu prices uh gratuity included pre-charging for reservations whatever it is like you just you get on board or you don't go out. Yeah. And I'm not trying to push people out of going out to restaurants, but I do think that as a such a tight community, we can band together and find ways to make things work. All right. That's that going back. That's the whole point of this podcast that we're trying to put together yeah. of what are the big picture problems and how do we focus the microscope and investigate how that's impacting our small community. And with all the people that I'm working with on the number of projects, what we keep coming back to is we can make change here. And so let's do that. Yeah. And this, this is, this is one step. Yeah. This is one step. And this, 
this 22%, I, I bumped it up to 22% because I've also been looking at credit card processing, you know, uh, as a, as a huge, huge one, huge one, huge, mm -hmm. you know, impact on the Especially bottom. Especially with the amount of things, like as, as wonderful as it is that like people have Venmo and all these other like little, uh, you know, social media like transaction little actions that they can you know swap back and forth. It's not used. It's not utilized as often as it could be, as it should be, and we get stuck with a five top that splits their ticket four or five ways. Yep, and you each know? time you split a ticket, there's a 30 cent charge on every credit card and a 2.678, charge totally. on top of that. So you got a two top, they split it. It's very, you know, hey, you know, uh, chivalry is not dead, lovely. Thank yeah. you, appreciate that. But hey, you know, don't be scared of Venmo, yo. It adds, <laughs> it adds up, and, and I'm, I'm looking, how can we get benefits to people? Yeah. And, and then I'm looking and being like, holy shit, I spent that much money on processing fees last year? Who is it a convenience to? You could argue both sides, the customer and the business, for sure. Yeah, sure. But would it, you as the customer, you know, the difference of two bucks, right? Two dollars and a hundred dollar bill. Is if that, that, that going to make or break your choice to dine out? No. But that will make and break my choice to be able to offer full health benefits to my employees. Yep. I mean, I can't do it otherwise, right. you know? So how, what are ways I can chomp away at it? So I looked at some new POS systems that are offering ways to pass along the credit card processing. POS systems, for uh, those of you unaware of what that is, is the little computer where we put in the order and uh, where we print the uh, check for you. Do you know what POS even stands for? Point of oh, sale. Oh, right, I knew that, sorry. Sorry, it's late. Shit. Um, that was dumb. Uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to come up with a joke. That's, I got yeah, yeah, this piece of shit over here. So anyway, anyway what, I was saying, what I was saying, what I was saying. What's going to think me going to get you into this piece of shit over here? I'll tell you what. <laughs> your processing fees covered. Boom. I got your credit card fees over here. Boom. Forget about it. You want this piece of shit? You can have that piece of shit. I got the best piece of shit over here that's going to get you... I tell you, this is going to be the most successful restaurant in the whole fucking county, right? Uh, Rafa, can we pull this mic? <laughs> <laughs> um, Yo, elephant in the room. What's going on with this cowboy hat full of reposado tequila? <laughs> what the fuck? That is uh, some real, shit. real... Uh, I don't is, even know. This was a... I will have a little bit of that if... Uh, I'm, I think I'm brave enough to have some of that. I don't know. To quote one of like my favorite like like I didn't say I was offering it. It's like a 19th century wheelchair of tequila. Yeah, here, let's let's see if the camera can get, you know, a nice shot of this little yeah, cart. And it's a glass hat, and there's a bottle holder. There's, there's a whole bunch going on there. Um, we'll, we'll do an agave uh, episode at some point, and we'll, we'll drink it then. Sure. But, I mean, but just, just to finish on this 22% uh, thing, um, what it allows us to do from from the bird's eye view is take a look at the entire staff and essentially define roles and worth based off of persona you know the the person in that role yeah um and somebody that's been there a long time can continue to to make raises in their hourly um and allows us to redistribute that money that normally would be sectioned off i mean typically you pay servers a tipped minimum wage, which I think right now is five seventy-five in Massachusetts, something like that. Yeah, 
So you don't have to pay. So that means one thing, your front of house, you're not even really paying. So what kind of worth does a front of house member have if the customers are actually paying them, not the business themselves, right? So I go ahead and I give my chef a salary. Hey, great job, you're super valued to me. I'm gonna give you a raise, whatever. Meanwhile, the servers are making you know 40 bucks a shift for me. That's nothing. They're, they're relying on that. I, I want them to know that they are contributing to my business and my business is contributing back to them. Inclusion, big time. Mm. So we're doing hourly for everybody and we're not gonna do away with tipping because my customers have always been incredibly generous because my staff always does an excellent job and when they don't, somebody will let us know and we'll, we'll make that, those changes. So I, don't, I didn't wanna prohibit tipping from happening um, and I, I, I do expect that most people will continue to tip because in some ways like you just feel like you have to, but n- now it should be less of a, my, my hope is that when you come to Cantina, you feel that just by being there, you are supporting a better ecosystem for everybody, the dishwasher, the line cooks, the prep cooks, the host, everybody. Uh, and if you had a great time and you're feeling generous, leave a tip the way it should be. Leave a tip, leave a tip. And that shouldn't, don't calculate it, don't do math in your head, leave 20 bucks, leave 50 bucks, leave 100 bucks, whatever you're feeling, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, yeah. leave a tip. But tipping in the normal scheme of things is paying somebody's living wage. Yeah. So when the food takes a little bit longer to come to your table, because there was a gigantic to-go order that got placed and the chef because he was, or the owner because he was trying to cut corners didn't bring in an extra person that night so there were only two people on the line and so your food took longer and then you actually go ahead and decide to only tip 15% on your bill. You're just fucking the person that was your server. It's so much bigger than that. Yeah. But I think a lot of customers don't truly understand what the business model, and that's another conversation. What does the business of restaurants look like? Yeah. Uh, so the 22% is gonna allow us to pay everybody a stable wage that they're comfortable with. Uh, any tips that come in will be divided up, mm-hmm. potentially with the kitchen, now that we've defined the fact that the kitchen is 80% customer facing, who knows, we'll decide that later. 90. 80, 80, 80. But uh, what I love, to your point where a lot of servers have not liked going to this model because it somewhat restricts their how much they can make uh, because we will have the optional tipping so far all of the servers that I've hired at Cantina have said look if the, if the tips come in and they're still very strong take my hourly down and put it to the kitchen hmm. because I don't want to be making more than the guys who are working more than me. Hmm. And that right there tells me that the culture is strong and alive. Yeah. Because nothing, because the last thing I want to do is raise everybody's wages, you know, and pay everybody somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $28 an hour. And then all of a sudden people are tipping and now the servers are making even more. Yeah. So I, I just love that everybody wants, everybody that I've hired wants this to work not just for the summer, but for good, so that we can make some of these big picture changes. So those are the two big ones as far as change of, of Cantina, is the talk thing. It's gonna be uncomfortable for a couple of weeks, make a couple of reservations. We will still allow a couple of walk-ins, 
and the 22% charge that you'll see on there, and feel free to tip or not tip. It's up to you. Cool. Um, are, are you... Right. Um, um, there's also um, another aspect of it, which is uh, um, the uh, taco... Right. Partnerships, aspect. for sure. So, uh, Billy, you're going to head out? I gotta head out. Hey man, this has been a f- uh, nice hey, sitting down thank, here. Thanks for joining. Because uh, you know the fact of the matter is, Josh and I we have such opposite schedules. You know yeah. we're just just constantly crushing in our own rights uh, all the time. So it's gonna get caught up myself. I don't yeah, know, I don't know yeah. details too. You know? yeah, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yeah, we're actually not even seeing Billy anymore because unfortunately that camera that was on Billy. Oh, has you can't see any of this. Can't see any of this right here. For those of you who are not seeing, Billy has taken his shirt off. Yeah, oh, man, He's beginning yeah. to take his pants off. I so. can add that to talk too. Take two tickets to the gun show. Sons <laughs> out, sons out, guns out, Berkshire style. <laughs> the man is a lot. Oh my gosh. Um, where were we just sitting at that moment? Uh, oh, the partnerships, right? Yes. So. Uh, met these awesome cats for uh, for my anniversary a couple of years ago. I bought Emily a gift card to Taurus uh, Hotel up in North Adams. Right spot. If anybody's up there, yeah. If, if trying if, to have a glass of wine, yeah, cocktail. Yeah. If you're looking to come up and visit, or if you're looking for a little staycation, um, head up to North Adams. Go to Taurus. Very cool uh, hotel and lodge. But they have a little restaurant and called the Airport Rooms, and this couple that has a taco truck was doing a pop-up there for the night, and so we had dinner and got to meet them and started talking, and it was it was awesome. And they're looking to expand their business, and again, we're trying to figure out what are the pressure points of restaurants that make it unsustainable, and how do we create solutions to continue to allow people to be at Cantina all the time and, and this and that. And so we decided to partner up with them. And instead of our team uh, shifting the entire restaurant over, they're gonna come in and do a takeover two days a week. So uh, Oliver and Ray will be cooking up the good good from Wednesday to Sunday. Uh, and then Monday morning, Mariah and Justin from Chingon Taco Truck will be driving down with their little uh, Mitsubishi Mini Chingon Chingon There you go Lo siento mi amigo Chingon is more like a, You know Chingon like The G word Okay I'm sorry <laughs> I've been out of the kitchen for a while <laughs> um, Haven't we all So yeah they're coming down I'm gonna be doing uh, Posting up outside in what was last year The barbecue shed so Mondays and Tuesdays will be 100% fast casual in that you can still make reservations, which will essentially guarantee you a table inside the restaurant or on the deck, um, but you won't have table service. So you'll, there will be a host, they will bring you to your table, you'll get comfortable, and then you'll be able to get up and head to either the main bar or the auxiliary bar outside, order your tacos, get them on a tray, sit down, have a good time, keep it casual. And we're super excited for them uh, to be joining us. And that puts us at seven days a week. Uh, nice. And the staff is going to get to enjoy coming in on days off or not 
whatever they want. Yeah. And in the wintertime, once the season's over, Justin and Mariah are going to go ahead and move inside the restaurant and continue the takeover and the Mexican theme night, but not be doing just tacos, but instead a nice comprehensive menu showcasing some traditional Mexican cuisine and dishes uh, in a much more uh, a la carte composed menu style. So we're pumped on that. We've also partnered with three really cool farmers, local New Marlboro farmers, uh, because again, decided we don't need to carry the bus across the finish line when we have an amazing network that does these things better than we ever could. Yeah. So here I am, Tribeca boy from New York City, putting muck boots on thinking I'm a pig farmer driving around my King <laughs> Ranch and I got I got chickens and ducks and I got lambs and goats and it's a lot of fucking work man it's I a bet. lot of work I bet I got I got two cats I'm exhausted already it's a lot of work so um and running the vegetable garden so farmer Steve is coming in to take over the vegetable garden he's Berkshire Bounty Farm uh, in Southfield, amazing guy. He's actually growing 100% of his farm right now for Berkshire Bounty Nonprofit, which is a food bank. So he's no longer growing for us as a farm, but he will be taking over our garden plot and producing there as a showcase of his technique and the amazing things that he grows that will all go directly into the restaurant. Nice. Right next to that, uh, Jordan and Andrew, are going to be from Swallow Belly Farm, which is a, uh, they just started raising uh, Magnalista pigs, which is a heritage breed. They look like sheep, they're super wooly. They take much, much longer to grow, to raise much higher fat content. It's it's almost a Kobe beef of pork, is what, oh, wow. what it's called. It's, it's very good for charcuterie. So is, it, is that the same kind of uh, pork that's used for uh, for those, those um, uh, Prosciutto, not prosciutto, the... You're thinking uh, Iberico Hamon. No? Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of... Uh, oh, God, what's the Spanish? Hamon. Hamon Iberico? That's what I just said. Yeah, the acorns. Is that not yeah. the same? Is it the same? No. No, so Iberico Hamon is, is that they're only raised on acorns. Now, they yeah, do sorry, go I, around... I couldn't quite tell that you were saying that with your Tribeca accent. So, uh, um, so different, but <laughs> same, same, but different as they say in Thailand. Uh, yeah. So they're going to be raising some pigs there that will be purchasing from them yeah. as a showcase of their small farm that they have in the woods. Um, and Christian from uh, Hidden Mountain Farm who is also in New Marlboro, is going to be bringing his rams and a couple of lambs over to graze through our field Ooh. Uh, to showcase his small operation. So we picked the small guys uh, to go ahead and be partners with us and really show the Cantina property as a landscape of the community and not just a, we do everything, but instead we as a community do everything and there's a showcase of that here. So between the taco people and the farmers that we have coming on, we really think that we have tried to streamline the things that we do to make sure we're doing those things exceptionally well uh, and bring on the support where needed to ensure that 
everything is happening at a high caliber and that people are doing are staying in their lane in a big way. So we'll see how that works. But so far, so good. We have a lot more work to do, but I'm sure there will be several more late nights. It will never end. It will never end, but it, but it will because we'll get open and yeah. the, team is, the team is excited to get in next week. Kitchen guys have been working already. Uh, a lot of cleaning, planning, organizing, and finally prepping today. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that it's going to be a great season and that uh, we're always looking for feedback. That will be a different conversation for sure. <laughs> um, but definitely are excited to, to get some feedback from the community uh, and from our, from our guests to make sure, because we're doing this for them. I mean, that's, that's, that's why we're in this game. We love, we love serving people. We love yeah. service. It's a yeah. service industry. And if you, don't, if you don't have that mutual relationship with your guests, then what are you really doing? So uh, we hope that if anybody notices something or feels that they have an opinion, we want to hear it. Yeah. Because we take uh, everybody, no matter the thought, uh, if, if it came up in their head, it's valid. And so it should be addressed. Anyway, we just wanted to thank you all real quickly for tuning in uh, to our first podcast. As always, as I've said with all the restaurants so far, we are a young, young baby. And so please hold our hands as we continue to learn how to walk. And once we get our feet under us, we'll be sure to continue to amp this thing up and get all the weird little gimmicks out of there, Rafa, and get to a better place. Trying to keep this thing real, keep it awesome. Always welcome the feedback. Anyway, please share with anybody and everybody you know. Uh, that's what social media is there for. So please keep us moving around as we try and engage the community, both here in the Berkshires and all over the place at large. Uh, we're at, at Bunch Podcast at uh, Instagram and also on Twitter. Uh, I am Josh Irwin, Rafa, our producer. For everybody out there, thank you very much. And we will see you next week.